0: All right, I think there's enough of us here. So I'm going to go ahead and get going. If you guys don't know me, my name's Travis Swan. I have been at Summit View Fort Collins for 22 years now. I'm a pastor there. I love, I love my church family. So many of you are in the room. And for some of you that have been around me for a long time, a lot of this is probably going to be a little bit redundant. That's okay. I love you guys. Um, for those of you that I don't know, I, um, I have a, a weird knack gift, I guess, for messing with technology and hacking it. I'm going to talk a bit about technology today at some points. I, I like to hack technology, but there was a point in my life where I had to make a strategic decision for myself because when I was in high school, the FBI knocked on my parents' door while I was home and they were investigating me for hacking. When I got to college I chose not to go into technology partly out of fear that I would go astray. I loved Jesus. I saw a propensity in myself because I could just mess with computers and technology and make them do what I wanted them to do in weird ways. I still have that ability. I try not to do anything illegal. I didn't get in trouble, by the way. But it was uh, an eye-opener when my virtual world knocked on the door of my real world, and they collided. So there's my dark backstory. (laughs) It gives me credibility to talk about some technology things today. That's going to be part of what I talk about today. But I want to start off, um, first of all, just introducing myself. My name is Travis, like I said. I'm married to Sarah. She's in the back. We like to sit in the back. We're back people. I was sitting in the back. Um, I'm 40 years old. We've been married for 16 years now. We have three kids, Emory, Scout, and Tate, 10, 8, and 6. Um, I have a weird upbringing. I was homeschooled all the way through. I was homeschooled way back in the 1980s when homeschooling was strange. My parents were some of the original people in the state of Colorado who ended up at the Capitol and lobbied for homeschooling, becoming legalized, for people to have rights as homeschoolers. My dad is a co-founder of Check, which is a Colorado home educators group. Okay, so I have a back history of being a bit countercultural. I stepped into Summit View, Fort Collins, in, in in college, and found a bunch of kindred spirits. Found a bunch of people who were thinking kingdom-minded rather than world-minded, and I fell right into it and loved it. And it's sort of like it was seamless. It has its challenges, of course, but. I want to talk about that a little bit about that today. As we're kingdom-minded, as we're thinking in light of eternity, as we're thinking in light of John's rope, which is still here, there's certain ways that we're called to live. And we're called not to be servants of this world, but we're called to be servants of God. And so just just to start off with, I was thinking about my, I, I didn't go into technology, I have an art degree. I majored in fine art, I have a bachelor's of fine arts. And I love things like that. I still love technology. But there's a story about Renoir. Back in the 1890s, in France, the telephone was a technology that existed. And his, his artist friend, his artist friend, Forain, had bought a telephone. And Renoir ta- tells this story where Degas, is another artist, and he's talking to Forain, and, and Renoir overhears it. And, and so he just says, hey, there's this... There's Degas asks him, you hear a bell ring and then you just go answer it. And Farin's like, yeah, the bell rings and I answer it, certainly. And Degas says, I see, so you're a servant. (laughs) Degas was skeptical of the technology. Ferenc had become a servant of the thing that was designed to serve him. He willingly subordinated himself and he was ready to be summoned at the clang of a bell. And it's so funny to think about that description from the 1890s in light of today's world where we have smartphones. I mean, have you ever been at lunch with someone and they interrupt your lunch conversation to check a text message? Or have you been that person? Do you struggle when you pull up to a stoplight because you want to pull your phone out and check something? Has anybody here ever done that? I'll raise my hand. Some of you are saints. I mean, I have found myself with my smartphone pulling it out during trips to the bathroom. Because for some reason, I'm a slave to all of the stimulus and all of the things that it offers me. And sometimes I wonder in our current world if we become slaves. To be a servant of a technology is one thing, but slaves is another. And so the title of our whole summit this weekend as for me and my house. And it comes out of Joshua 24. So the scene in Joshua 24, Joshua and his friend Caleb are literally the oldest people in Israel because they're the only two spies, remember, that, that actually obeyed God that wanted to go and take the land and then the other ones didn't, and the people wandered for 40 years till so they all died off, except for Joshua and Caleb. So, this is Joshua at the very end of his life, and he's seen incredible things. And God has come through over and over and over again, and he still sees the Israelites' propensity to follow other gods. And so, he sets them down. And he says, You know what? I see in you. That serving the Lord might seem undesirable to you. Maybe it's too hard. Maybe it's too challenging. Maybe you have to give too many things up. You have to change your lifestyle in a certain way. But he says this. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that. He drew a line in the sand. Me and my house, we're here. You guys can decide what you want to do, but choose. This day, now. Make the decision. It's for me and my house, we will cho- we will choose to serve the Lord. That's what I've said for my house. We went and dedicated our, our oldest son. We did child dedications, and we had him up on stage at Summit View, and we chose this verse as his life verse because his name is Emery. He's named after my grandfather, who was an amazing man of God, church planter, Incredible guy, incredible legacy, and we named him after him. Emory means strength, but it means specifically strength within the home, and I just, we wanted to just make this statement for our son. As for him and his household, they're going to choose to serve the Lord, and that is our prayer for him, but it means that I have to live in a certain way to help him get there. So John Meyer asked me to teach at the summit, kind of gave me a rundown of things he thought maybe I should talk about and Maybe some practical choices we need to make for our lives. Decisions we need to make. What do I need to do to draw a line in my own life and say, I'm going to stand on this side. This is what serving the Lord looks like. And honestly, I have a ton of thoughts on that because I have ordered my life in a certain way that I believe strategically is doing that for my family. It has yet to play out. I hear the teen years are difficult. I haven't got there yet. I hear there's a whole bunch of things coming that I can't foresee. And so inside, I recoil just a little bit at the thought of giving too many practicals on how to live. Partially because I haven't played it out fully. And partially because I know at least some of you, Fort Collins is my context, so I'll speak for our own contexts. There are more people that sit in my office with problems related to moralism and legalism and taking (coughs) principles and guidelines and things that aren't necessarily Bible but are good advice, making choices about them, and then making legal systems about them that prove their own righteousness. And they struggle with it, and I get increasingly uncomfortable when people stand on stages and say, this is how you should live, and here's the bullet points of everything you need to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll have your predictable outcome And everything will succeed. And so I think I'm sort of supposed to do that during this talk. But I I recoil at that. Because I don't think Christianity is that. I love Pat. I love you talking about us having a relationship with God. Do you know that people in general have a tendency. To take things like Christianity and create religions out of it. Instead of having The gravitational pull of your life go towards a relationship with God, friendship, intimacy with a person. We tend to take all of the things that surround God, and we make our spreadsheets and our bullet points, and we say, I'm going to keep those over here, and this is how I'm going to live. And they're great things. They're great things. But it's most often at the expense of the relationship with God. And why do we do that? Because it's very, very difficult to control that relationship, another person in our life. Ultimately, we're serving him. But it's very, very easy to make that list serve me. And I can be in control, at least in my own mind. And so human beings, that's just our gravitational pull that we've got to fight against. And I don't think that that is Christianity when we start labeling all of those rules for ourselves. And I've been actively fighting against it in my own life and the lives of people in our church. Because I think it's more closely aligned with a paganistic idea. Like I imagine natives doing a, a rain dance, trying to get rain. They're trying to appease a deity. Or maybe it's sort of like a, a poodle and you have a hoop. And you want the poodle to jump through the hoop. And the only way you can get the poodle, because the poodle doesn't want to do it, is to dangle a little treat on the other side. And So the poodle reluctantly jumps through the hoop so that whoever's holding the treat is pleased enough to hand him the treat. And I think we treat God like that. There's the hoop. Travis, I'm going to give you a treat on the other end. So jump through the hoop and get it right. And if you get it right enough, you get the predictable outcome. And so we attend parenting conferences, and we get a list of five hoops to jump through. And the predictable outcome at the end of it is your kid is going to be this world-class Christian who's going to change the world. And I don't want to knock those things, they're great tools, most often they're awesome, good advice, but they're not a relationship with God. And so I, I kind of do want to talk about that a little bit, but that sort of sets the tone for where I want to go. Because I don't think God in our life is on the other end of some list of bullet points holding up a treat for us saying, if you get this right, then you can have eternity at the end and all will be hunky-dory, and it's not, that's not how it's supposed to work. But we often fall into that because we do feel it's controllable. It gives me control, and I'm a control freak, and I can reasonably control that part of my life. But the reality is we're incapable of organizing our life to predict a good outcome. Every single one of us is going to fail like. And if you order your life that way and you strive that way, you will inevitably wind out, You just completely wind up exhausted and anxious and depressed. And God knew that from the very start when he created paradise, John, I love John's Picture at the very beginning of two people standing in paradise. God created paradise with the tree of life and the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave them one rule, don't eat of that tree, and he knew when he put them there that they were going to do that. And he knows our tendencies to try to control and go our own way and say, I can make my own system out of this, and that's what adam and eve ultimately concluded they were going to do and like john said they pulled the power plug out from the source of life and plugged it into themselves and created a little isolated system which ends in decay and death and nothing there's no life going into it from god And God knew that that was going to happen. He had a plan from the start to insert himself into the center of history in the form of Jesus Christ. God become human to take all of our inability to jump through all of the hoops and do all the things perfectly, to take that on himself. And all of everything that we deserved in terms of punishment, wherever we, we abdicate our responsibility, wherever we try to seize control from him, all those things that inherently are the heart of sin itself, and he nailed them to Jesus on the cross. And leveled the playing field for all of us and said, You don't have hoops to jump through anymore. You are righteous, you have the righteousness of Christ, and nothing can snatch that away from you. That's the foundation. I'm going to give some practicals, but I don't want anybody to look at them as legal mandates for the sake of righteousness, salvation, predictable outcomes. They're just simply one guy's perspective on what's going on in our culture as of late and some suggestions on how to perhaps help us navigate it. John asked me to talk about particularly the last decade and some things that I've been seeing, some things that I think a lot of people have been seeing, things that Christians are bumping up against, things that are causing us to fail in our lives, in our energy, in our joy, in our mission with our kids and our families. And so we do want to draw that line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. But there's certain things we need to be aware of. And, and a couple of verses came to mind as I was thinking about this. One of them is here in Ephesians 5, where Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, look then carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Analyze the time that you're in, make the best use of it, understand that the days are evil, therefore, in your actions, in your decisions, in what you decide to do, don't be foolish, instead understand what the will of the Lord is, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That seems a little disconnected from the first part, but it is not, I will come back to that later. And this verse reminds me of all the way back in the time of David in the Old Testament in First Chronicles. There's just this random insert of these guys that existed back then with him. And it says this about them. These are the men of Issachar. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. These were people who had an insight into the culture of the day. But it didn't just stop at the knowledge they had and that understanding of the times, it took action, it took a step. It said, this is what we're gonna do. They understood the times, and they knew what needed to happen. I think that's a powerful and important combination. Because it's one thing to know, you know, the headlines, the tweets, all the things that we see that come in our news feeds. It's one thing to, to know it, and even to understand it, but it's another thing to take the right action And I think it comes down to this word, is wisdom. And this is the Webster definition of wisdom, and that is knowledge of what is true or right. So understanding the times, right, would be a subset of that. Coupled with just judgment, that is, you're seeing the time, you understand it correctly, and then that understanding turns into action knowledge of what is true or right coupled with just judgment as to action. And so today we have to ask these questions. First, what is it that we need to understand about our current time? 2020, United States of America, kind of in the middle of the country, Colorado. And then we have to ask, once we have our just judgment of that, how should I then live? And so I've got two areas I want to focus on today because I think there's two specific areas of weaknesses that I can fall into and I see other people fall into. And they are, number one, we are frazzled from overachieving. And the second one is, we numb ourselves to deal with it. Let's start with that first one. We're a guy named David Zahn who wrote a book recently called Seculosity. I read another article in New York Magazine. Um, and the title of the article was Meritocracy. I thought it was actually a pretty cool um, description. Did that come through the speakers? That was a weird sound. <laughs> Interesting. I get easily distracted. I'm like the squirrel. Anyway. Anyway, basically the idea behind this is in our modern culture, I talked a lot about hoop jumping, right? So that's like the toxic forms of religion. You think about all the bad parts of religion, whether it's Christianity or some other religion. It's that sort of pseudo-paganism where you have this deity and you're supposed to whip yourself a little bit so they're pleased with you and happy and stuff like that. So basically what our modern world has done is they said, you know what, we're going to just kind of do away with this whole supernatural thing. Like, let's just do away with God. But underneath, even throwing away Christianity and conventional religion sort of, you know, receding into the background for more and more and more people, it seems like every single alternative answer to what life is supposed to be all about, every system that we then generate to replace religion, it seems like it makes everything worse. It makes everyone feel worse. It seems like it's generating fatigue and anxiety and depression and ultimately suicide. All around us, all around us, there's a a comedian named Russell Brand, he's had all kinds of struggles and weirdness over the years, heroin addictions, you know, he's very articulate but very vulgar, just all kinds of stuff this guy's struggled with. But anyway, he was interviewed recently because he's going through the 12-step program and he's now written a book on the 12-step program and how just amazing it is. And so in the absence of the supernatural, he's basically saying the 12-step program is his thing he has faith in. And he's advocating it for the rest of us. Now, there's great things in that program. But he said this in an interview about his book. He said, there's an ongoing sense in this modern life that it's not working. There was an important job that religion was doing, but because of X, Y, or Z, we have possibly quite rightly rejected it. But the secularization, the materialization, the individualization of the way we now see the world now excludes us from a life that has meaning. And I don't think that pop culture can fill that gap anymore. I don't think art can do it anymore. Things are getting too serious. People need to be connected with something that is essential and beautiful and valuable. And true. And so he has what amounts to a secular, non-supernatural belief that his higher power is the 12-step recovery model for addiction. It's his newfound faith. And so David Zahn wrote that book, Seculosity, and, and, and he says there's this secular world and there's religi- religiosity. And so basically there's this seculosity thing, absent from Christianity, a new religion that's a catch-all for all our religious feelings, all of our sentiment. All the things Russell Brand is talking about, all the energy, but it's now directed here materially, earthly, rather than at heavenly things. I read a book a while back by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. It was called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Disagree on Politics and Religion. Written from a secular perspective, really fantastic book. But he says in the intro to the book that an obsession with righteousness is the basic human condition. And so our modern world is removing Christianity and religion in general from their mindsets and from their lives and from their belief systems. And they've replaced it with religion. Religion Religion-oriented earthly. And so we're experiencing in our culture, in the last, really, the advent of the smartphone is when you kind of see the spike in some of this stuff. So really the last decade... We're experiencing something akin to the worst parts of religion, the most toxic parts of religion. The problem is we've become too religious about too many things. And David Zahn in his book, Seculosity, he says, you know what, this new religion instead of worship in a spiritual sense, like with sacraments and things like that, he replaces the word worship with enoughness. Which I think is probably the whole successful idea. Just not with God written into the picture. And so the question is, what is it that you lean on? What is it that tells you you're okay? That your life matters? What is it that you use as your guilt management system? Because according to him, our whole secular world is struggling with guilt like crazy. What is it that gives you the justifying story of your life? And so basically everybody's asking this. Am I blank enough. And in that blank we go, am I successful enough? Am I happy enough? Am I thin enough? Am I wealthy enough? Am I influential enough? Am I woke enough? Am I desired enough? Am I charitable enough? Am I good? I mean, you could put all kinds of stuff into that. And in the meritocracy of seculosity, there's never enough. The goal of enough is inching away from us every time we grasp at it and we go, I think I got enough. And it's like the old question to John Rockefeller way, way back in the day, the most wealthy w- man in the world, right? And they said, how much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And he goes, just a little bit more. It inches away. And no matter how we grasp at it, we can't get to it. And we're like the poodle jumping through the hoop, except the reward is continually and ever elusive. And our world is caught up in that. And the problem is we Christians... Get caught up in that. And I think the Bible is amazing because it helps us make sense of some of this stuff. I appreciate this rope that's sitting on the ground here that John held up that apparently goes past Pluto and other places. Because God wrote about it. He wrote about this in Ecclesiastes. You guys ever read Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes is amazing. So this is Cruella de Vil. And she's in the meritocracy, seculosity world. And this, when you walk up to someone nowadays on the street, one of your friends, whatever, you ask them how they're doing. It used to be, I'm good. Now it's, I'm busy. And this is how people are existing. Me trying to excel in my career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay sane, survive, and be happy. What'd you call it? Rat killing? (laughs) looks like she's about to kill something. She's actually chasing a van full of Dalmatian puppies. <laughs> but this is how people's righteousness looks now. Frazzled, fatigued, anxious, depressed. Freaking out. This is what our world is doing. They've done away with Christianity, and they've replaced it with a religion. They've done away with a religion and replaced it with a religion. They've done away with one that actually has some restraint on us, And replaced it with one with no boundaries. And so they strive and strive and strive and strive and strive. And everybody that you talk to feels exhausted. And I'm sick of my friends in the church telling me they feel exhausted. Because I think there's an answer for it. And I think it's because we fall into this trap of enoughness. Secular religion. And so Ecclesiastes, I mentioned... Here's the key verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Also, he, meaning God, has put eternity into man's heart. Here's the rope. So, here's what we have now. And here's eternity. It just keeps going and going. I won't pull on it too hard because I'll get into... Stacy's, your foot's in the way. <laughs> it's okay, I won't pull on it. This is my life. But this is what my heart is built for. Right? Do you think anything in this little blip of existence, any accomplishment, any sort of stimulation, any sort of anything, affirmation from a person in here, is going to satisfy a heart that's built for this? No. It's going to be endless striving, depression, anxiety, fatigue. It's inevitable. There's no hope in the midst of that. Because our hearts are built to be satisfied only in a relationship with God that's eternal. And so the the writer in Ecclesiastes always talks about on this side of the sun, meaning this little piece of electrical tape on the end of this rope, this side of the sun. On the other side of the sun, In eternity, where God is, there's actual satisfaction. And so today, I mean, we grasp onto all kinds of things. For most of us here in Colorado, it's achievement. It's individuality. It's the white picket fence. It's all the stuff. Maybe it's adrenaline rushes. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's sex. More numbing mechanisms. But it could be meaning and purpose. And even in our Christianity, maybe it's in our marriages. Maybe it's in our kids. Maybe it's in how well we teach Sunday school, how much we serve at church, our attendance at things. It can be all over the place. Your schooling choices, you can find your merit all over the place. It's all looking right here. That's where it's looking. And so in Ecclesiastes, the writer says this. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, everything here. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. It'll never be enough. And so it's no wonder everybody's busy and frazzled. When the contrast in eternity is passages like this in the Bible. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. When you can be in relationship with God, you have your heart that's built for eternity. You've got an eternal whole In you that can't be filled by anything material, anything this side of the sun. With eternal pleasures. Look at that, eternal. This is what you're built for. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. Next one. Psalm 27:4. one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. The eternal hole in my heart can only be satisfied by the eternal beauty of the Lord. And that's where my eyes need to be fixed to seek Him in His temple. And His presence is pleasure that's eternal. It's forever. It's an endless, unending source that can fill us. And this is what we're all looking for. This is what we're striving for. And so when we seek to understand our current world, I actually get really excited because I see a world that has no understanding of grace. A world where your entire worth is based on the merit of your performance. And in the light of God being the only successful thing, the only thing that's enough, what amazing clarity of a message do we have to share with that world? And ultimately... Exposes what the cross is and does for us to grant us access to that eternal source. So our second area of weakness. So first we're frazzled from overachieving, and second, we numb ourselves to deal with it. So you feel busy, you feel anxious, you feel like the day has gotten away from you. You feel this over and over and over again every day. You're a mom at home with the kids, and the kids are just just they're you just can't get control. And you look at social media, and you look at Pinterest, and you realize you didn't have the, the, that themed birthday party for your one-year-old like your neighbor did, and you feel less than them, or whatever category it is, and you start just wallowing in despair, like, I can't get there, I can't achieve, I can't accomplish, I'm not enough for a type A person like me, I, just, I can fall into that. I'm always moving. I'm always doing. I always am doing stuff. And if you fall fall into that and start wallowing your your despair, how are you going to deal with it? And so we see a world trying to come out from underneath that, trying to figure out how to deal with it. Some people escape through suicide. We've had that hit us in a close way in Fort Collins. Caused me to start thinking pretty deeply about some of this stuff. What matters? What really matters in the light of eternity? But what we end up doing is we end up numbing ourselves to it. We end up dulling our senses, our spiritual senses. Not just our physical senses, but our spiritual senses. And so I want to talk about the Internet a little bit. They do have a pretty good understanding of the Internet. I was, uh, dopamine feedback loops is where I want to go. Yeah, I know. I'll get there. I'll get there. So, I may be part of the last generation that clearly remembers life before the internet. To that last generation to ever exist on this planet that actually remembers that kind of life. Technically, Gen X, I got internet early in my life, so probably operate more like a millennial. I'm right on the generational gap between those. I think I have my foot in Gen X and my foot in millennial, and I somehow straddle it. I feel like I can relate there. But I honestly remember back in the day where you couldn't know what the temperature was in Hawaii. <laughs> now, it's in my pocket. I have full access to everything. And so I was driving, I was riding my bike actually, you know, low-tech, riding my bike. Probably had headphones in, but I was, I was riding my bike down one of the trails in Fort Collins, and I found this sticker stuck to one of the, one of the signs there. It says, I miss my pre-internet brain. And I honestly, I do. Because the internet is changing my brain. I've, I've noticed this. I've been acutely aware of this. I've been studying this for a while. I've been experimenting to see, as a hacker in my mindset, to see what this is actually doing to my own brain. But it's interesting to actually look at what the creators of some of the media, digital media we intake are actually saying now. There's a reality that those people who created things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, You know, early smartphone design, stuff like that. Those guys, they're growing up. They were in their 20s. We talk about that concept of wisdom, understanding what's true and right, making just judgments so as to action. Well, they certainly took action. And if they hadn't created what they created, it seems like technology has kind of converged and something would have happened. So it probably wouldn't have been these guys, but it could have been other guys. But anyway, here is uh, one of the former Facebook executives. He was in charge of user growth way back in the infancy of Facebook, and now he travels around speaking about the dangers of Facebook. So he says this, he said, I think we all knew, talking about the original creators of Facebook, in the back of our minds, even though we feigned this whole line of like, there probably aren't any bad unintended consequences, I think in the back deep, deep recesses of our minds, we kind of knew something bad would happen, but I think that we defined it, it was not like this. And he says, the short-term, dopamine-driven feedback loops that we've created are destroying how society works. If you're not familiar with the dopamine feedback loop, dopamine is basically one of the reward neural transmitters in your brain. It sees a goal out in front of you, and it evaluates the risk of getting to the reward on the other end of that. It sets a goal, goes to it. When it meets it, it gets the reward, receives pleasure. And what they've done with Facebook is they've created a shortcut so that there's not much risk to get to the place of pleasure. And that pleasure comes in the forms of of likes and dings and interaction and affirmation and beautiful images. What he says is we've created a loop, a repetitive loop that gets stuck on itself and now is destroying how society works. So this is Sean Parker. If you were around in the 90s, you know him as the guy who designed and put Napster out there and created the whole mp3 piracy thing. He also was one of the founding members of Facebook and he said this, again, he said, you know, the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. And then Justin Rosenstein, he, uh, he actually recently produ- pur- purchased a new iPhone, and then he instructed his assistant to set up a parental control feature on his iPhone to prevent him from downloading any apps. He was particularly aware of the allure of Facebook likes, you know, the like button, which he describes as bright dings of pseudo-pleasure that can be as hollow as they are seductive. And he should know he was the Facebook employee who created the like button. So there's growing concern that teenagers are getting addicted in particular, but adults as well. Continuous partial attention is kind of what people are calling it, is where your brain is always on attention, always on alert, but it's just partially, and it's all the time without a break. There was a study I saw that said just the mere presence of a smartphone in your pocket or on a table in front of you, even if it's turned off, puts your brain into that space of continuous partial attention so you're not fully present with the person in front of you, simply because the phone is there, even if it is off. And so we're distracted. And same guy, Justin Rosenstein, he said, everyone's distracted all the time. We may be the last generation that can remember life before. If we only care about profit maximization, we will rapidly go into dystopia. And so they're struggling with guilt. All three of these guys have talked about how they now wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweat, struggling with guilt about what they've foisted on us, on society. They're terrified of their own creation. And I think we have to understand this, that digital media products are not neutral. They're designed to create addicts. They're designed for it. Just make this squeak a lot. They take little subtle psychological tricks that can be used to make people develop habits... Such as varying rewards, the Las Vegas gambling method where you don't ever quite know what's coming, right? But sometimes you get a jackpot and there's the mysterious like refresh on Twitter or on Instagram where you pull it down and then something new comes up. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's nothing. And so you keep cycling through like a gambling addict. And it creates a craving and most people experience negative emotions associated with it. So there's this guy near Isle, and he's an expert on those little tips and tricks that cause addictions for people. And so he hosts tech conferences for programmers who are creating apps, who are creating video games, and he's written a book also on how to do it. And these conferences are to educate people on how to insert these things into their products so that people keep coming back as addicts. He said, the technologies we use have turned into compulsions, if not full-fledged addictions. He somehow actually thinks it's good. He celebrates this. It's the impulse to check a message notification, it's the pull to visit YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter for just a few minutes, only to find yourself still tapping and scrolling an hour later. None of this is an accident. It's all just as their designers intended. Feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness often instigate a slight pain or irritation that prompt an almost instantaneous and often mindless action to quell the negative sensation. You ever feel lonely? Ever feel bored? Man, when we get bored, you know what happens? We have to spend time with ourselves and whatever is in our past, whatever we're struggling with in our present. We start having to interact with ourselves and those things that scare us about us. And so he's designing products to help us with that, right? You can have an instantaneous and mindless action to quell that negative sensation and never think about it. It's it's Huxley's Brave New World book, right? You read 1984, Orwell? Read, Read Huxley, read Brave New World. Instead of, like in 1984, where there's this authoritarian violence that keeps everybody subjugated, Brave New World is everybody's just numbed with pleasure and entertainment. You don't ever have to deal with a hard thing, and so you can have an authoritarian government that rules you because you never rise up with your negative feelings. And that's what's happening to us. That's what's happening to us. (laughs) It's amazing. I mentioned the pull to refresh thing. This is Lauren Brichter. And um, he created the pull to refresh. He was working for Twitter. And he's since left Twitter and got married and had kids. He said, I have two kids now, and I regret every minute that I'm not paying attention to them because my smartphone has sucked me in. Smartphones are useful tools, but they're addictive. Twitter is addictive. These are not good things. When I was working on them, it was not something I was mature enough to think about. I'm not saying I'm mature now, but I'm a little bit more mature, and I regret the downsides. And This is an article that was featuring him doing manual labor on his house because he's trying to get away from his own smartphone and his own creation and trying to get into his kids' heads. And now that he has kids, he's laying awake at night going, what have I given my kids? He didn't have the wisdom or the maturity to understand the ramifications of what he was creating that he just handed all of us. And so what we have here is just a handful of people, mostly in their mid-twenties, without a lot of life wisdom, working at a handful of technology companies, and they're choices are steering the direction of billions of lives today. And we'll continue to do so. Ever stop to think about that? Has that occurred to you? We've all felt some of the things that are described there. I think we have, if we're honest. And so here's our Neurotransmitter, dopamine, big culprit right there. And the way that that works in the brain, I can't go like super scientific into it, but imagine a jungle, and it's really dense and really thick. Have you ever tried walking through a jungle like that? It's almost impossible. But there are trails in the jungle, and all the animals take them, because there's a free path, and it's easy. And what happens when you take one of those routes, like with the Twitter refresh, when you feel bored, you feel an instant of maybe a little monotony is happening and now I'm suddenly confronting my own inner self and I feel uncomfortable. Instead of taking the path to deal with that and the actual pleasure of meeting the goal on the other side of actually having dealt with yourself, you instead numb it with one of these applications. Something beautiful to look at on the internet, pornography could be an example of that, affirmation from a friend, the amount of likes you're getting on something, a selfie, whatever it is, there's a new path in the jungle of your brain that's created that's shorter and easier and it makes it that much easier the next time to just hold the refresh again, hold the refresh again. And the neurotransmitter wears a path in your brain, and it becomes easier and easier. And looking at the actual goal of dealing with yourself and maybe having some progress on your own inner self, that becomes overgrown like a jungle, and it's much harder to deal with. And so people have these little loops, little fixed loops of pathways in their brains that are just so easy to just stay in, and it's a rut, and it's addictive, and it changes them. And so I feel like we, just gonna skip over that one. Here's where we kind of exist. You got an ailment, boredom, self-condemnation. You didn't achieve something. And so that ever elusive goal of enoughness came to you and you felt guilty about something. You felt bad. Well, here's a pill. Jump on Facebook, swipe, check Snapchat, see if anybody's there. Maybe just pose as being really, really responsible and incessantly scroll through your newsfeed. All the things in the world. And I I go back to that verse in Ephesians 5. It says, "Don't don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I wonder just how much understanding we can have when our brains are stuck in these dopamine loops and addictions. How much deep, true understanding can we really have of what God wants for our lives? When we're sucked into that. I think we get hints of it in other parts of the Bible. So in Romans 12, Romans 12 too, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Some 25-year-olds created something that you're caught up in and you're not stopping to think about what it's actually doing to you. Don't conform like everybody else is doing, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern What the will is of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the big question of the hour is, well, how do I discern what the will of God is? I love this verse in Titus. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our hoop jumping, our accomplishments, our meritocracy, whatever that is, not because of that. He saved us. It wasn't due to that, it was due to the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus did the heavy lifting According to his own mercy. God is so kind to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ overwhelms me. The mercy of God overwhelms me. I didn't deserve this. But because of his own mercy. The washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And I love where Pat went. When he was talking about intimacy with God. And I love that picture of our present world. If I lived this present world but didn't have God and I still had eternity, it wouldn't be worth it because there's a promise for right now. Jesus did have to leave in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the clue to understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and us being intimate in relationship with the person of who God is I said I'd get back to that verse in Ephesians 5 that seemed unrelated but is completely related about being drunk with alcohol Ephesians 5:18 so this is after after Paul says, you know, make sense of the times the days are evil live rightly understand what the will of the Lord is and in conjunction with that do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit do you know What the neural transmitter is in your brain that is primarily activated when you get drunk, it's dopamine. And alcohol creates a feedback loop in your brain that makes the things you're dealing with seem a little easier to handle. So you're bored, you're confronting yourself, you had a rough day, it's a whole lot easier to tip back the bottle than it is to actually get in the recesses of the jungles of your mind and try to actually sort all that stuff out. (laughs) And so I love that Paul added that in. Drunkenness was the problem of the time. If he wrote this today, he might say Instagram. Now, I want to make this caveat, because remember my lecture at the beginning about religious systems and hoop jumping? You're all going to get your phones out and delete Instagram right now and find this burst of righteousness, right? No, I have not deleted Instagram off my phone. I still have a Facebook account. Do not leave from this room and this mountain and go down and delete everything, find your righteousness, and then hold your righteousness over everybody else because they can't be Christians because they have Facebook. That is not what I'm saying. But I am saying... Let's beware of this. Because I think Paul could have stuck, don't get lost in the search feature on Instagram that magically refreshes the beautiful image that you get sucked into for an hour at a time without consciously thinking. Because if you do, you can't be filled with the Spirit. He's saying there's a place in you, you know why alcohol is called spirits? Because there's a place in you that alcohol inhabits, and what does it do to you? Have you ever heard the expression 10 feet tall and bulletproof? Right? You've come in contact with those guys. (laughs) They get drunk, and they think they're invincible. And so they do stupid (laughs) stuff, and they pick fights, and they're, they're inhabited. And what does it do? It animates them. It moves them around. It changes how they think. It possesses them. And I think God uses dopamine feedback loops to make that happen. Because he's designed us that way so that the spirit of God inhabiting us can fill us in the exact same way. So he's not saying here, don't get drunk. He's saying don't get drunk with wine. He's saying get drunk in the sense that you're inhabited, possessed by, motivated by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Except there's one major distinction between the two. Social media, maybe in the meritocracy, Facebook. Instagram, Snapchat, affirmation, pornography, all the different things we get sucked into now. Maybe it's alcohol for you. I don't know. I I know a few heroin addicts. Pretty tough. Whatever that thing is, and we're getting sucked into it. It desensitizes us. It numbs us. It helps us sort of to handle reality because it helps us ignore reality. So we're not coping with reality at all. In fact, you come out of it and your whole world is worsened. It's awful. Like, you know that verse, cast all your cares on me for I care for you? God said that, right? So I imagine pulling my phone out and swiping Instagram and my phone's telling me, hey, cast all your cares upon me for I care for you. And you're like, okay, you care for me, you care for me, you care for me. It's not. It doesn't. I come back out of that and I have no idea what I did for the last hour and I feel just Awful. And all of the horrible anxiety is reinforced and I feel worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and it just keeps getting horrible. And so Paul's saying, you know what, I know this is a chaotic world and I know in your work you're struggling and maybe finances aren't working out and maybe you fought with your spouse and maybe you've been fighting now for the last year and it's really hard and you're questioning whether you married the right person and your kids aren't turning out like you imagined. There are different personalities in you, you can't relate to them. You know, you're into sports and they're not, or they're into, they're, you know, whatever it is. There's chaos, and Paul's going, you know, that's going to be really tough. And the easiest thing for you to do when you get home is to pop the top off that bottle and tip that bottle back. He's saying, don't do that. Stop in that moment where you have that feeling of boredom, where you have that feeling of anxiety, where you have that feeling of tension, Depression. And then step into your relationship with God. And you know, God, you're here with me. Help me to sort this out in my head. Because I think there's some things I'm believing and experiencing about it that aren't true. And instead of what alcohol does, is the, it numbs, right? So instead of that, where it numbs and just distracts and you don't ever end up dealing with something, what the Spirit does is the Spirit sensitizes you. And makes you more acutely aware of that reality. More strongly understanding what is happening in order to cope with it. And I'm reminded of this verse. It's a story from way back in 2 Kings. And I love just the clarity of this. That God can help us see reality as it truly is. You remember the story, this is Elisha, the prophet Elisha, and they're surrounded by the enemy, and his servant is freaking out, going, there's no hope, I'm done for, I mean you want to talk about anxious, wallowing in depression, his his servant basically has concluded they're dead. And what do we do in those moments? We try to numb our reality to cope with it. But Elisha prayed. And he says to God, open his eyes, O Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And what did he see? He looked and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And he went, oh, all right, we're good. Amazing. And so you're in that moment and you're in that struggle and you're in that trial. And it's so easy to just numb it away. But God wants to open your eyes and your mind and your heart, I think even your health and your bowels and everything else, to the reality of being inhabited by him and the clarity that you can then have and the energy that you can then have, the understanding that you can then have to know what the next step should be the motivation for taking that next step, the energy to follow through with it when your foot comes down and you're like, I took a step of faith, and God's there to support you and carry you through. He opens your eyes to what's true and what's right and what's real. And the process of that might hurt, and that's okay. It's not going to numb you like alcohol. And I think that's what we are getting caught up in. And so, remember our wisdom point, and it is all about taking right action. Understand the times, understand what's needed, make a good judgment about it, and then take action. And so we're asking all of us today, like Joshua did. We're going to draw a line in the sand. And there's a whole bunch of stuff pressing on us. I didn't even get into a whole bunch of the sociological issues of today. we've We've got issues on sexuality and gender and, I mean, politics are crazy. The whole world feels like it's falling apart. And our world is offering us an escape of numbness, and God's offering us an opportunity into something so much better. And I just invite all of us, let's take a step and serve the Lord. I don't want to be a slave, a servant of my technology or anything else. I want to run away from it. Are we willing in the light of eternity and the brevity of this life to make specific choices in our households to help us in this? So for me, just, just thinking about what am I going to choose? And here's maybe where I'll get into some practicals, just a few of them for a few minutes. Because I, I don't think there's an exhaustive list that applies to everybody, but at least for my family, number one, we've chosen to homeschool. Simple reason, I have control of my time. I'm not subservient to someone else's agenda in any sort of way. We've chosen to do that. That required a financial decision. It required a decision on how we're living in a house. It required us to not have a new house. It re- it's required us to never really have a choice on what vehicle we drive. Because in Fort Collins, if you don't have two incomes coming in, you're going to have to make some really serious choices. I've never actually chosen what car I own. It always serendipitously serendipitously comes to me in some sort of way that's a deal. (laughs) Right? But we had to make that choice. That's one choice. It could be your choice. It might not be. We strategically chose to do that. One thing with my smartphone, I've concluded that I could be a slave to it very, very easily. And I, one, one day it just became vividly aware to me when we were sitting at the table for dinner and my son asked me a question about mongooses and whether they could actually like survive the bite of a cobra and so I looked it up. Let's think about that Kipling book from way back. Anyway, I pull out my phone and I look it up and 15 minutes later I realized I not only had not answered him but I was reading the news. I have to stop this. And so I made a commitment to my family. Every meal that we eat together, my phone is either in the other room, in my pocket, off, somewhere. It's not present. It's not a legal mandate that dictates my righteousness. I can't hold it over everyone else saying, look how holy I am, I'm great. It's just simply I go, there's a problem here. And I suddenly found myself numbing. You know, because at the end of a hard day when I'm sitting down at dinner, it is challenging sometimes to answer the question of my 10-year-old when I really just kind of want to isolate and relax and numb myself. Maybe a challenge for you guys. Put your phone away when you get home. Put it on charger, stick it in a drawer. Be present with your family. Put it in a different room when you go to sleep. Turn off the TV. My parents threw out the television when I was a little kid, and I, don't, I never regretted it. I had a ton of time because of it. Yeah, I got to college lacking some cultural literacy, but I don't think it stunted me any. <laughs> I didn't watch Smurfs a lot. We've, as a family, chosen that on Mondays we don't answer the phone. We don't answer text messages. The world can take care of itself. That's my day off. I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. Choose a day. Just be free of it. We, um, when we have a small group meeting at our house or a social gathering, my kids have gotten in this habit now because they've caught on to it. We have a basket we'll put on a stool by the front door with a little sign on it. One of my kids will make a sign. You can barely read it. It's great. Please put your phone in this basket. And you can grab your phone on the way out, or if you need to make a phone call, go out in the front yard. That's fine. Leave it there because we value you. So put your phone in that basket. We do that for small meetings, so you have to bring a paper Bible. <laughs> I sound like a Luddite. I'm the guy who got investigated by the FBI for hacking. I'm not a Luddite, okay? But I do prefer paper for various reasons. You know, maybe even, here's a challenge, consider setting aside permanently some forms of digital media. You know, video games, for instance. You know, I, I referenced the guy who hosts the conferences designed to insert addictive behaviors into these video games. Well. There's a guy who actually isolated 200 of those particular things in the game Fortnite. And you wonder why young boys lose themselves in that virtual world and never come back out of it. What if you got rid of those entirely? What if in the light of what your heart is built for, what your kid's heart's built for, all of this... Because this is pushing on some of you right now. Because if you're my generation, you played a lot of Halo. As did I. That's right here. And how is it going to affect all of this? And what if it means that your kid can actually have a relationship and intimacy with God as they grow? Instead of being drunk and stupefied by all these addictive behaviors. What if we chose to live differently as Christians? I think about that. Are you willing to take radical action? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to look a bit different than what the rest of the world looks like? Again, I'm not. We, we don't need to go buy farms and become Amish. I still have an Instagram account. But we can put up guidelines. And I just want to challenge us to think critically and clearly about that. In light of verses like this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let's throw off everything that hinders. Is it hindering your intimacy with the God who loves you and wants to, I mean, He is the best thing you can have. Are you settling for something so much less? Throw it off. It might not be sin. Look, there's a different category for sin here and the sin that so easily entangles. So throw off even if it's a good thing. You might need to live differently. It's okay. It's okay. I don't know. Sometimes I, I talk with people and they're like, man, I just wish I was born in like 1885, 1910. You'd have to live through World War I then. I don't know about that. It seems like there's different times, you know? I mean, maybe 1950 was like American utopia where everything had as close to heaven as possible. And like, we were born into this time, this season. God's got something specific for us, people. He's got his kingdom mind set for what his church is going to do. And the days are dark, the days are evil, Ephesians 5. It is pushing up against every single one of us in so many different ways. Choose you this day who you will serve. Choose. Is it going to be eternity? Or is it going to be some momentary little thing? Because you know what? I love, I love the Apostle Paul. Such clarity. Talking about this world. It's twisted. It's crooked. But you can be blameless, innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You don't have to succumb to the meritocracy and end up anxious and depressed and sad, lacking energy, lacking joy. You don't have to be that. You can be light in a dark place centers around that relationship with the Holy Spirit working in you. He's with you always, always, always. And so here's just back to that near aisle guy. He's the guy that designs the addictive behaviors and teaches other people how to do it. And so think in your life as we close. Think of the the feelings. Whatever it is that makes you pull your phone out and start browsing through mindlessly. You felt that feeling, just a discontent, right? These feelings he's talking about, boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, indecisiveness. And just think about that. Instead of getting drunk with that and numb with that, the smartphone, the YouTube, the Facebook, the whatever else it is on there, what if instead you sat down, and it's going to be hard work, but you did the real work of allowing the Holy Spirit to actually interact with you and teach you? show you the real truth in the moment and it's going to hurt and you're going to walk right through the middle of that negative sensation to the truth and the light and the energy and the joy on the other side of it and what it reminds me of is the second part to that hebrews 12 verse you know verse one says throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us the next verse says looking to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what was the next word? Endured, right? So you are looking ahead at the boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, indecisiveness. Maybe it's much deeper than that, and it is depression, anxiety, fear, anger, whatever else it is that you're wallowing in, that you're experiencing, and for the joy set before you, you can endure it. Just like Jesus endured the cross, right? He scorned its shame. And now, where is He? He's seated at the right hand of God. And so, in light of eternity, the fact that every single one of us gets to be there for all of time, and that's a fact for us, maybe maybe for that joy that's set before us, let's endure some of this stuff. You might find this side of heaven, this side of the sun, some real joy and energy and peace and maybe even excitement to be part of God's kingdom that does shine like stars in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. And you might find that when you read the Great Commission and the call to go make disciples, you might find that you have a fresh energy and a fresh hope. And when you encounter the homosexual who's antagonistic towards you, You do what Paul said in Colossians 3, and you put on love. You clothe yourself in it in gentleness and kindness and patience as you interact with that person, and you love them right into the kingdom because you got nothing to lose, and you got the joy set before you that Jesus has completely secured for you, and the pressure's off. I don't know. That sounds pretty good to me. I I think so. So, I want to leave us with this. Because it's a lot to take in. And maybe if every single one of us leaves with, what is one way we can think of to be successful? So, I just thought, write these down. Get something out. Get your smartphone out. They're so useful. There's nothing wrong with technology. We've got missionaries in Asia, and we can Skype with them, and it's incredible. God's created some amazing stuff. Take a picture of this. I don't want you to leave the mountain, though. We've got a little bit of time here before dinner. I don't want you guys to leave and get back home and get back in a normal routine before walking through this. Think in light of eternity, in light of all this huge long rope that goes past all the galaxies and continues on forever. What are you striving for that, like the author of Ecclesiastes said, is just chasing after wind? It's a little blip. The ever-elusive goal that's in front of you that you're striving for. Maybe it's promotion at work. And instead of working 55 hours, you have to work 65 hours to do it. But that's 10 hours less with your family and so your kids suffer. What are you striving for? It's just a chasing after wind. It won't matter in an eternity. And then let's talk about dopamine. What dopamine feedback loops are you addicted to? Maybe it's heroin. Probably not in this room, but maybe. Maybe. Fentanyl, opiates, they're all over the place. Maybe it is your addiction to taking selfies. I don't know. We're not eighth graders, so probably not. (laughs) But I wouldn't put it past some of us. But maybe it's the one that I fall into, and that's I want to know everything that's going on in the world. And so in any moment of slight boredom, like I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I pull my smartphone out and I check the news feed. What if instead I put my phone in my pocket and I go, I refuse to be a slave to that and I will choose this day that I'm going to serve God instead. What are you addicted to? Label it, name it. Maybe it's multiple things. And then the next one here, and this is what I want you guys to put your head together with your spouse. And you can do that now, you can do it tonight after bed. bed. Could be after bed, depending on what you decide to do. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) We just go there. Whenever, before you get home, okay? What is one problem? I just lost you, didn't I? Yeah. What is, everybody's like, all right, I don't going go. Cool. What is one problem in your household? Just one. Let's do, there's probably, you know, 17. Maybe there's 30. Probably that many in my household. What is one problem in your household that you'd like to solve? That you two can agree on. What is one problem? And then just think about, success in that. Choose you this day who you will serve. Draw the line. What is one thing you're going to choose to do? How far are you willing to go? One radical thing you're willing to take home and try in the midst of that. Okay? That's good. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I just think back to when you told your disciples you would have to go. You said you were going to have to go because the Helper was coming. And now the Helper is here and in us and inhabiting us. And Holy Spirit, you don't want to be grieved by the things that we're doing. Instead, you want to energize us. You want to motivate us. You want to fill us with all of those things from Psalm 16. There's joys forevermore at your right hand. And you yourself, we can be in intimacy with relationship with and you can fuel us and turn us where we're not gentle people into people who have the fruit of gentleness because you inhabit us and you change us and you grow us and I just confess God that I do I I get stuck in my head and I get stuck in my list of to do's and to don'ts and everything else and I forget that you're there and I also get sucked into these addictions and these numbing patterns And that's where the anxieties and the fears and everything else arises in me. I just want to confess that. Spirit, I want you to take me over and inhabit me like alcohol would. So that I'm ten feet tall and bulletproof. But it's not because the world around me is, is an illusion. And I'm numb to it and I can't really see true reality. But I want to be like that servant who sees the chariots of fire on the hillside. I'm surrounded by the armies of God. And I'm invincible because of it. That's true reality. And I got God in me. I'm going to shine like a star in this dark world. Lights in the dark world. Let us be that in light of all that we've heard about eternity and where we get to go and be forever. Thank you for loving us. Thank you most of all. Just thank you for Jesus. We get to have access to you. We get to have the Holy Spirit because of the work that he did. Cleared out all the junk. Gave us access to you. We just praise you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for the gospel there, good news. Help us as we go. I think we're all going to have fun. Help us to interact well, glorify you. Help us to really think through these thoughts. I'm just grateful for what we've heard so far and what we're going to hear tomorrow. So we pray all this in Jesus' name.